Ann and I had the privilege of meeting with your pastor search team last night, and I just want you to know these folks are genuinely seeking God's man, genuinely seeking God's will, and you can be assured that they are looking for how he is leading most of all. So I hope you will continue to pray for them. This is a big day in the life of Moberly because you have an opportunity to bring a special Christmas gift or birthday gift to Jesus in this Christmas season as we're having this special one-day mission offering or go missions offering here at Moberly. But before we get to that, at the end of our service today, we want to realize that we have begun the Christmas season. We've done it with singing Christmas carols today. You see it up here on the stage with all the Christmas trees. And we want to have a focus from here through Christmas. And we are focusing on Luke chapter 2. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7, perhaps the best-known passage of Scripture in all the Bible. And then next week, looking at verses 8 through 14 of Luke 2. And then on December 20th, looking at verses 15 through 20 of Luke chapter 2, which focuses on the shepherds. So I want to ask if you'll turn in your Bible to Luke 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And we're focusing today on this theme. No room for Jesus at Christmas. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Father, as we stand before you, coming to perhaps the most famous and well-known passage of Scripture for Christians all around the world, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do something unique that you will convict our hearts and speak to our hearts today as we look at a very familiar passage to give us fresh insight from you in a way that helps us to understand the birth of Jesus and the importance of your coming and how we really can make room for Jesus at Christmas. So, Lord, we give you this time. And we pray this in the strong and good name of our Savior and Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. People have gotten away from the true meaning of Christmas. Now, have you ever heard that said? Have you ever said that yourself? 
maybe many times, so much so that the phrase, people have gotten away from the true meaning of Christmas, has become cliche in our culture. I want to read you a quote from a man by the name of Phil Stubbs who lived a few years ago when they were a bit more legalistic in their morality. And this is what he said about Christmas, and I quote, Christmas is nothing but cards, dice, and bowling. Now, he said that in 1583. You know, the reality is that even though many complain that people have gotten away from the true meaning of Christmas, there has never been room for Jesus at Christmas. All the way back to the very first Christmas. Now, let's think about some of the reasons why. Let's begin in verses 1 through 3 because we're going to see reason number one. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Reason number one why there is no room for Jesus even that first Christmas is all eyes were on Caesar Augustus. Now, you say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, in America, because the president of the United States is the most powerful man in all the world, our news cycles and the way Americans think, we tend to think that everything that's really important rises and falls with whoever is president of the United States. Whatever they do, whatever they say, whatever they tweet, mega millions take note to where the message gets to be that if there's anything really of importance, it has to do with the presidency. Now, understand this. Even though our presidents of the United States are at this point in history the most powerful man on the face of the earth, there has never been an American president as powerful as Caesar Augustus. He was the most powerful emperor of the most powerful empire in the history of earth, the Roman Empire. So let's think about how this came about. Now, you may not know how it came about that Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man on the face of the earth in those days when Jesus is born, but I'm going to tell you how it came about, whether you want to know or not. You see, a man named Julius Caesar that some of you have heard, was, heard about was assassinated. When he was assassinated, that great Roman general, Rome was led by what is called a triumvirate. What is that? It is ruled by three. There were three men that ruled the Roman Empire. Well, it quickly became a rivalry between two because one of the three kind of dropped out of the running. That's tough for a nation when you've got multiple rulers and there's constant jockeying for power. But those two were named Mark Antony and Octavius or Octavian, depending on your translation of his name. They were the two that were vying to be the most powerful leader of the Roman Empire. But Mark Antony got distracted. He began to have an affair with a woman you may have heard of by the name of Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, powerful men having an affair is nothing new. What's the big news about that? Well, there was a serious issue. 
Mark Antony was married to the sister of Octavian. And Octavian got ticked. And so his forces and Mark Antony's forces began to battle one another. And on the eastern shore of Greece, there was a primary battle where Octavian defeated the forces of Mark Antony. And it was such a sound defeat that Mark Antony wound up committing suicide and later Cleopatra as well. And what was kind of an ancient version of a Romeo and Juliet story. But it's also how Caesar Augustus became the most powerful emperor in the history of the Roman Empire. Because when that occurred, the Roman Senate in 27 BC, 27 years before the birth of Jesus, they made Octavian the first official emperor of Rome. And he took on this title, Caesar Augustus. And Augustus means regal and serene or lofty and serene. You could tell he was a man of great humility to pick a name like that. Now, Augustus was a man of tremendous accomplishment. And he began to focus on what is known historically as Pax Romana. What is that? That there would be peace in the Roman Empire under his rule. And really what you see in Caesar Augustus is a foreshadowing of of what is going to happen with the coming of the Antichrist shortly before the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to be a world government leader, a world government politician and gifted leader who is going to be calling for peace on earth around him as the leader. And that's what Caesar Augustus had the mindset of as well. It gives us foreshadowing of what it's going to be like worldwide one day. But he was a man of great accomplishment. Because you see, he built a transportation system in and around Rome that was unparalleled in the ancient world. There's an old saying, all roads lead to Rome. And one of the reasons that the early disciples were able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the known world was because of what Caesar Augustus did in building a transportation system. If you were alive, some of you who've been around a while, when Eisenhower was the president of the United States. He had a vision for the interstate highway system in America. That really changed transportation in America. Well, Caesar Augustus built these roads all around the known Roman Empire. He also developed an elaborate postal system. He was a man of incredible accomplishment. But listen, are you listening? Thank you there. Today, Caesar Augustus, And one of his governors from Syria, Quirinius, are simply a footnote in the birth of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The reason most people have no room for Jesus at Christmas is they're so focused on worldly power feeling like worldly power is really where it's all about. That's where the action is. And in the process, it's easy to miss Jesus at Christmas or any other season. Is that the case for you? Let's read on. Reason number two, verses four through six. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Now, reason number two of why so many people have no room for Jesus is that they are simply ignoring what the Bible says. Or even if you believe what the Bible says is true, believing that the Bible has no relevance to your everyday life. You may believe the stories are true. You may believe those supernatural events happened 2,000 years ago, but you really deep down don't believe that God can intervene in history in 2020 like he did then. Now, Joseph left Nazareth where he lived to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because Caesar Augustus that we just focused on, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, had ordered a census of the population in the Roman Empire. Why? So that he would have a registration of everyone so that he could raise taxes on all the people in the Roman Empire. Does that sound familiar for government leaders? You see, in this vast, vast area and realm of accomplishment of Caesar Augustus, he had to pay for all those roads. He had to pay for the mighty Roman army. He had to pay for the elaborate postal system. So he needed to raise taxes. Oh, how some things never change. And so Joseph had to leave Nazareth because to have the census, each person had to go to their hometown or the place of their birth. And he was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Scripture teaches us, is the city of David. It's where King David, the greatest king of Israel, was born and where he was from. And prophecy in Scripture is very clear that the Messiah would come from the royal lineage of King David. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, was from the royal lineage of King David. So the fact that he and Mary that he was betrothed to would wind up at Bethlehem at the time that she was about to give birth is extraordinary. You see, Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world at the time, who is now just a footnote to the birth of Jesus, he had no idea that when he ordered this census, he was going to bring about a fulfillment of prophecy from the Word of God. Let me share something with you. Micah, a prophet who lived over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he prophesied this, and I read from Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, there are two Bethlehems, by the way, in Israel. This Bethlehem is just five miles from Jerusalem. This is the birthplace of King David and the birthplace of Joseph. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel, the Messiah. And his times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, the last two lines of Micah 5, 2 are telling us Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. Jesus always is, was, and will be. He is God. He is eternal. But it is through the supernatural conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary before she and Joseph were married and then the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem that we see Jesus for the first time in history took on human flesh and was born as a human child there in Bethlehem as a direct fulfillment of prophecy that occurred over 700 years from his birth. 
So if the people of that day have been reading their Bible and studying their Bible and believing their Bible and believing that God's Word is true, they might have had their eyes more on Bethlehem than Rome or Jerusalem. But here's what else is interesting. It happened even among the religious leaders. You see, those wise men from the east, they saw a star in the sky. They thought it meant the birth of a Jewish king, a great king, the Messiah. They come to Herod's palace in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Where is this young child that's been born king of the Jews? And so Herod, being like a classic politician, he didn't know a lot about the Bible, so he called on his religious advisory team to come in and tell him, where's the Messiah going to be born? You know what they did? Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. They opened their Bible and they said, right here, Micah the prophet says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Now, listen, folks, are you listening? Those religious advisors around Herod the Great, knowing the Bible as they did, having this great star appear in the sky, and these men travel all the way, either from ancient Babylon or Persia, and there's an indication that even though they knew what Scripture said, they never even went outside and looked up. They were so wrapped up in being close to the king where the action is, influencing the king, that God invaded history in the form of this little baby being born in Bethlehem, and even the religious leaders didn't show an interest. A lot of you here in church, or those of you joining us online, you may believe the Bible is true, you may believe all this is true, but you may deep down inside think, you know, God doesn't need to intervene in history like that today. And when you have that mindset, there's never going to be room for Jesus at Christmas or any time in your life. But there's another reason. Look at verse 7. It says, And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths. She laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the end. Reason number three that people have no room for Jesus is seen in the innkeeper. Just too busy. Now, I realize the innkeeper gets kind of a bad rap. But put yourself in his shoes. If you've ever been to a national championship game in Dallas or like we have in Atlanta on occasion or like we... When we had the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996, or say go to a town like Augusta, it's about twice as large as Longview, when the Masters takes place there, usually in the spring, this year was a bit different, but usually in the spring, every hotel within 50, 60 miles of Augusta is filled, and they're charging four times of what they usually charge for a room in that hotel. You can't find a room. Well, all these people that were born in Bethlehem had to come back all at once. And there weren't any rooms left. In defense of the innkeeper, who's he going to tell to leave their room for this young Jewish peasant couple to take their room? He was just too busy taking care of all his customers. And the Son of God was invading history, and he missed it. But in his defense... He showed some sympathy for this young couple. She was great with child. Imagine poor Mary, nine months pregnant, 
making that long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, whether sitting on the back of a donkey or walking, having what felt like a big bowling ball in her stomach. I mean, that's not a very pleasant deal. So he had sympathy, and he pointed to a cave or a place where he housed his animals. And there Jesus was born among the farm animals of the innkeeper. And really the only place that had room for Jesus at Christmas was a feed trough for animals. That's what a manger is. That was the only place. But really, with the innkeeper, we truly see ourselves. Because how often so many at Christmas, I know COVID year is a unique year, but so many at Christmas are just too busy to make room for Jesus. Too many other distractions, too many other parties, too much purchasing, buying gifts, all the things that go on with Christmas. Just too busy. Now, we can stop here, and a lot of you can say, well, this is very depressing. But I've got good news for you. I got good news. You can make room for Jesus at Christmas. And I want to share with you how. Number one, confess your sin of putting someone or something as more important of a priority than Jesus in your life. If your focus on worldly power and politics and government and who's in charge is more important in your mindset than Jesus, it's time to confess your sin. If you believe the Bible is true, but deep down inside you really don't believe the Bible has any relevance to your everyday life and that God really intervenes like he did 2,000 years ago, then you need to confess your sin of lack of faith to the Lord. If you're so busy with your work and plans for Christmas and other things that you just don't have room for Jesus, you want to confess your sin to God for letting other priorities. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's something as good as your family. But if anything becomes more important in priority than Jesus, our priorities are out of whack. And we need to confess all these other things that we make as idols in place of Jesus. So the second thing you can do is ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with the desire to make room for Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. A lot of people in the church get real excited about Jesus as Savior. Why? Because Jesus came to die for our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we are made right with God. And when we trust Jesus as our Savior, then we receive the gift of eternal life, which is going to give us victory over sin and death and the promise of being with God forever. That's great. We love that. But you don't really understand what it means to trust in Jesus as your Savior if you don't also trust in him as your Lord, which means that you're surrendering control of your life and all that you have and all that you are to Jesus being the boss rather than you. So ask the Holy Spirit as you confess other priorities that get to be more important than Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a desire to live with Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. 
as the priority of your life. Because I promise you, with our sin nature, we can never make Jesus Lord on our own willpower. We have to ask for God's Spirit to give us that inner hunger and desire to surrender our heart and life to the Lord. But thirdly, worship. We can make room for Jesus at Christmas when we worship the Lord in the Christmas season. It can be online, as some of you are doing today. It can be in person here at the Longview campus or the Marshall campus. It can also be in your personal quiet time with the Lord. As you pray to God, you're talking to God. As you listen to God by studying his word. That's the two-way street of communication with God. And in the process, we can worship the Lord with gratitude. Have you noted who really worshiped the Lord that first Christmas? Who made room for Jesus that first Christmas? Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, they all worshiped the Lord. But there's a fourth way that we can make room for Jesus, and that is giving to the Lord. Now, you study that story of the wise men, and you see that as they worship the Lord in Matthew 2, verses 9 through 10, you see that in verse 11, they brought Jesus gifts. Because as you study the Old Covenant and as you study the New Covenant, you see time and again, it is inseparable of worship and bringing gifts to the Lord. They go hand in hand. A lot of you have a mindset that I worship the Lord so that I feel inspired and feel good and all my needs are met, but it never crosses your mind that a big part of worshiping the Lord is a demonstration of your heart by bringing your gifts to the Lord. It's not all about me, it's all about God when it comes to worship. And so we want to give as we see so much teaching in the Word of God. And that's why I'm so excited about this Go Mission One Day offering of a birthday gift or a Christmas gift to Jesus. My wife Ann and I are excited to take part in this time with you. Because you see, there are two ways that you can give a gift to Jesus. Number one, Jesus teaches in the parable about his second coming in Matthew 25, verse 40 or 41. I forget the exact verse. Jesus says, as you give to the least of these, you give to me, says Jesus. He's speaking of the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the prisoner, the stranger, which is the equivalent today of the immigrant or the refugee. As you give to these who are often overlooked and left out in society, you give to me. That's the words of Jesus. That's one way we can give of our financial resources that are the Lord's resources is giving to Jesus. But secondly is to give to a Christ-centered ministry like this local church or another ministry that has as its mission the fulfillment of Christ's mission for his church, which is the Great Commission of taking the gospel, the good news of Christ, to every people group on the face of the earth. Taking the gospel where people who do not know Christ have the opportunity to come to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Christ died for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins so that when you and I come to put our trust in Christ, we receive forgiveness of our sins. We are made right with God, not by anything we've done, but by everything that Christ has done. 
and we receive the gift of eternal life because he rose from the dead, we will conquer sin and death as well because of Jesus. That is the gospel. And it is the greatest gift a person can ever receive. Some of you still are mistaken in thinking that being a Christian is about trying to be good to please God. Listen now, are you listening? Beginning to be a Christian is when you finally realize it's about receiving the greatest gift. And that is Jesus. You receive him in faith. You receive forgiveness. You're made right with God. You have the gift of eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the greatest gift. He is the greatest gift that you ever receive. Here's what's so exciting about today's One Day Go Missions offering. It covers both those areas. You're giving to the least of these, and you're giving so that people can receive the greatest of gifts, salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is wonderful. This mission offering is broken into three parts. 50% will go to international missions and in churches throughout our convention all over America. There's an annual tradition at Christmas of giving to what is called the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. She was one of our key early missionaries. And it is done in honor of her name because of her incredible influence in life in being a missionary in China. When you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you're not only giving to the least of these, but you're giving where ministry is not often in existence, where people have not actually heard of Jesus or had the opportunity to come to know Jesus. You, you want to know that 100% of all the funds that go to that offering go to direct ministry in sharing the gospel to people groups around the world. But there's a second part of this offering here at Marbley, this Christmas gift to Jesus or birthday gift to Jesus, and that is 25% goes to North American missions. Let's face it, the majority of people in North America are not followers of Christ. Now, there are a lot of people that say they are, but they don't really understand a personal relationship with Christ and receiving the greatest gift in Jesus. And then 25% of this offering goes to local and regional missions around Longview in the state of Texas. Certainly a tremendous need here. Now think about it this way. What's so good about you having the opportunity to give your first Christmas gift this Christmas season to Jesus is think of how strange it would be if you are a child or if you were a child and as a child you went to a birthday party for a young boy and everybody that came to that birthday party brought birthday gifts for everybody at the party except for the birthday boy. That'd be a little weird. But that's what most Christians do with the birthday boy Jesus every single Christmas. What's so exciting about today is we're giving you an opportunity to begin the Christmas season with a birthday gift for the birthday child that is Jesus. Ann and I are so excited to be a part of this and to have this as the first gift and the largest gift for this Christmas season. What about you? When you leave the service today, there'll be big like Christmas presents with a little hole in the side of the box. It's where you can take your offering envelope 
And if you come ready to give today, just be sure on your check that you write missions and check on your offering envelope. It's for missions. A lot of you may also be catching up on your regular tithes and offering. That's a wonderful thing to do. And you want to do that if you're a bit behind. But this is a special gift today, over and above your regular tithes and offerings. But just be sure you mark it on the envelope what your gift is for. If you haven't come prepared to give today, or if you're joining us online, then you have until noon tomorrow on Monday to go online to get your birthday gift for Jesus in so that you can take part in this exciting one-day offering. You can see on the screen inside about that. You can go to your website here to find out how you can give online. But we're giving the opportunity for everyone here to begin the Christmas season by bringing a Christmas gift to the birthday child in a way that is all about missions, all about caring for the least of these and those who do not yet know Jesus. What a great way to begin the Christmas season. I don't know where you're living. I don't know where you are in your relationship with, Lord, with the Lord today, but I really hope that every single person will make a decision today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to make room for Jesus this Christmas and the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray first of all for that person who still has just been mistaken that being a Christian is about being good enough to please you, God, and maybe go to heaven in the process. But today has come to realize, no, being a Christian is most of all about receiving the greatest gift, Jesus, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. And Father, I pray that that person will come to you right now if they're joining us online or here in person. And they'll say, Lord, I, I've been mistaken. I've just not been getting this. But today I see that Christmas is all about celebrating the greatest gift of all, what you've given to us, your life. Lord, I want to receive that gift today. And Father, I want to pray for those who are followers of Jesus. Some who've come ready to give this birthday gift to Jesus to begin the Christmas season and this special mission offering. But some who really hadn't thought about it a whole lot till they wind up in worship today. I pray that right now that you're stirring in their heart. They can examine their life, their heart. They can remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that where your treasure is, there your heart will be where you give where you spend that's where your heart is and lord i pray that they'll demonstrate their heart for christ by having their first christmas gift this christmas season be for jesus whether it's here today or whether it's online lord may you guide them now and may they be great joy in giving this gift as an expression of making room for Jesus this Christmas. But we pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.